At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Just like we have a mission to follow every team and give you the best national NBA coverage that covers every team, Navy Federal has a mission to put members first by making their financial goals the priority. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life missions, like a full suite of financial products designed to fit your needs, 24-7 live support, and access to over 300 branches on or near military bases. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app. Message and data rates may apply. All right, we got another mailbag edition. First time to get to the West. Those seem to be a little more interested in the West. We got a ton of questions. Thank you so much for everyone who's submitted. And if we can't get to yours, we apologize. We are going to try and stick it to a solid eight minutes of recording time per team so we can actually get through all of these in one episode. And let's start with Liam's team this week. Really eager to hear what he has to say about the 9 and 11 Minnesota Timberwolves. They are 4 and 2 in the their last six five and two since the trade still a negative 2.9 net rating which is 24th in the nba their offense is 18th the defense is on the come 21st and they project actually for 42 wins although 538's projections are probably all screwed up because of the fact that they don't have butler anymore and how they've played better without butler and, and a bunch of other stuff so liam I want to just ask you real quickly before we get into some of these questions here is just how have they looked since the trade? How have they gotten to this five and two record? Yeah, so they've been really impressive over their last seven games. There's the second best defensive team since the Jimmy, the second best defensive team since the Jimmy Butler trade. And they've been really good just defensively overall. And the first thing I did as I looked at the schedule and they've actually played some pretty good offenses. Brooklyn, they played twice as 10th. New Orleans is fourth, Portland seventh, Denver is eighth. So it's not like they've been doing it against a bad schedule. And I think, I mean, the biggest thing that's changed is, uh, you know, Covington and Sarge have really helped them out. Covington's been incredible defensively since he's gotten there. He's always been a great off-ball defender, but he's been as aggressive as I've ever seen. He's he's totally taking chances and, you know, playing really aggressive with his help off-ball. He's he's get, uh, got like 3.2 steals per game and 4.5 deflections per game uh, in the six games that he's played with the Wolves. And he's normally near the leaderboard in both those categories, but those just are a huge jump in his usual production. 
production. And he, he's just blowing up everything. He's plugging holes and he's really shrinking the floor for the offense. So he's been huge. And the defensive upgrade from Sarge to Tolliver has been big as well. Sarge, I think, is kind of an underrated defender. I think he rotates really well. He always knows where to be. He's going to execute even so, if he doesn't so have saying, the greatest you're physical tools. You, you think that Tolliver uh, is a worse defensive player at this point than Sarge? I'd say so. I think Tolliver is a little bit slower. I think the defensive numbers with Tolliver before the trade even kind of bear that out a little bit. So I don't, I don't know why you're a little bit higher on his defense. No, I did, you said it the other way around. So I just wanted to make, be clear about what you're saying. Oh, yeah. What, what do you? And what, one quick one quick thing I wanted to add in: Covington did a lot of aggressive digging down in that Brooklyn game, and it totally short circuited Brooklyn's offense. They weren't really used to that of just having guys get into their driving lanes and they couldn't make the passes because Covington can get back to his guy so quickly. And he didn't get as many steals in that specific area, but it just completely screwed up Brooklyn's offense. Yeah, and that really yeah, can, I help, that can help a lot too when you have some limited pick and roll defense combos to have a guy who can help make a guy pick up his dribble early, get a deflection, still get back to his man. Uh, now, you could say, hey, maybe Jimmy Butler was the guy who was supposed to be doing that, maybe not in his disengaged form this season, but they did actually defend reasonably well when Butler was on the floor last year also. Yeah, and I think another part of what they've done is they've switched up some of their defensive uh, tendencies. I think Jim Peterson in the the Chicago game said statistically they switched more against the, uh, Brooklyn than they had against any team all season. And I think the eye test confirms that they've switched up the defense a little bit more against the Bulls. They were, you know, blitzing pick and rolls, uh, hedging some, they were dropping some, they're really switching up to keep Levine off balance. And I think you can do that when you have a guy like Covington that can cover a lot of ground and wreak havoc and Sarge that's, I think, a little bit more mobile than Tolliver. So they definitely have a lot more defensive versatility. And then I think you got to attribute, I think, I mean, it's tough to, this is kind of abstract, but I think having the Jimmy Butler out of the locker room and you know more of a positive vibe with the team has also been a, a huge factor so let's take a, a few questions here uh let's start why is tyus jones getting time over josh okogi and uh, the idea there i think is well you've got derrick rose playing some uh, basically his best ball since the, the first acl tear or, or he only had one but the first knee injury i should say uh so why don't you just play him a point guard you could play uh, okogi uh, on the second unit uh, what do you guys think well i think it's tough to take rose out of the i mean I'm not the biggest Derrick Rose guy, but I mean, he's, I think he's got like a 60% true shooting percentage on the season on a huge usage. So it's pretty hard to take him out of the game right now. So I think it's a really tough call because I really like Tyus Jones and Josh Okogie. Neither of them are shooting well at all. Uh, Josh Okogie's 46% true shooting percentage. Tyus Jones is 41%. And both of them are really good defensively, actually. Uh, Josh Okogie's been the most impressive rookie to me defensively. He really fights over screens well, and he's just a, he's just a beast on ball as far as sliding laterally and Tyus Jones plays passing lanes just about as well as any player out there so I don't know I, I guess it's a tough call I, I'd probably go Tyus Jones just because I expect this shooting to get way better whereas Okogi's a rookie that's probably going to struggle with that throughout the season yeah and he still gets guarded out there as well and I think also they've had a lot of success playing Rose off the ball I, I noticed a dichotomy in Rose where he would say you know he kind of came up and there was this idea that he was this pure point guard right and that's actually if you read some of the scouting reports on him that's what he was lauded as back in high school uh, but when he would go into that mode you know some sometimes when you play for team usa for example his pure point guard was just all right, i'm gonna stand up top and then just throw passes to guys and not really attack at all and so i think 
saying hey you know what we're gonna your job is to go out there and score we'll have tyus jones uh, run things every once in a while let rose attack from the wing get downhill a little bit more uh maybe the reads aren't as complex there as well so uh, he's never been an amazing passer uh, and just uh, let him be focused uh, on getting buckets and they seem to have had some success there i mean obviously a lot of this is prone for aggression Derek rose is not going to be shooting 47 percent on threes the wolves will not be the number two defense oh for uh, the rest of the year uh, but certainly uh, some signs uh, on a team uh, that is talented i mean they've really kind of been doing this without getting much from wiggins right i mean he's I, I don't think he's had any real big games other than just in terms of volume since the trade that i recall can i can i give you a stat on that actually i looked up um players that had shot at least 40 shots from mid-range on the season and andrew wiggins is dead last out of 69 players that have shot at least 40 mid-range shots in the season he's shooting like 20 percent. so no not not exactly lighting it up this year <laughs> well and, and so on top of that wiggins does have two 20 point games since they traded butler but both of them were on games where he shot below 50 percent from the field and had not a ton of free throws one game he had five free throw attempts and the other game he had two so it's more of a volume game for him when he's and, he, and there was one of those games i think it was the pels game where he hit a bunch of three in the early going and then tapered off after that he notably had zero points in their win over the chicago bulls on saturday in a game where i think he and covington combined to go two for 30 from the uh, field i believe it was like that. one for 30 yeah and they, and they still had a like a 111 offensive rating because carl anthony towns is a monster and Derek rose had a really nice game as well a quick point on the akogi thing I really like Josh Kogi, big fan, but I like the approach that a lot of teams have gone to. I give Carlisle credit for this of having multiple ball handlers out there in the second unit, just because it gives you options in case something stagnates. You know, if, if everything was on Derrick Rose offensively when those lineups, there are nights when his game isn't going well. As Nate said, he can sometimes benefit from being off ball a little bit more. And so Tyus Jones gives them that option. While Akogi, I think has made better decisions with the ball in his hands. You're not going to run stuff with Akogi as the primary ball handler that often. So Jones, gives them a, a more of a comfort comfortability factor and i think teams should generally go in that direction unless they face an opponent that can attack it especially in the regular season i would be playing two possibly three guys who are comfortable with the ball in their hands if the other team has their starters up for quick last one here we got 30 seconds left what are the chances the Wolves can salvage a playoff spot this season? Asks uh, DJ Ryder. Uh, I don't think it's great. I mean, I think if they were in the East and they had to get to 41 wins, I think that actually would be possible. I mean, to get back to 9-11 and 11, where they were is impressive. But, I mean, really, there aren't any teams in the West that were looking... Uh, going to be in contention for the playoffs that have totally fallen out and then you've got other teams really you know maybe you could say the spurs but they're still nine and ten uh you got the grizz at 12 and seven after a weird loss to the knicks uh clippers are playing well the jazz have faltered but you expect them to turn around i mean so there's just so many teams involved that if you could say hey if they get to 41 wins they're gonna make the playoffs i might be optimistic but i I still don't think they have much of a shot because there's just so much competition there uh but obviously if they continue to defend like this it's a possibility uh all right we'll uh be back to talk Talk about Liam's Utah Jazz after this from Robinhood, which is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, cryptos, all commission free. So if you're a stock market newcomer, you can invest for the first time with confidence. You don't have to feel limited in what you can do by having to make a payment for commission on each trade other brokerages charge up to 10 bucks for every trade and Robinhood doesn't charge commission so that means you can keep all your profits from trading stocks and 
their interface is really good clear design easy to understand charts and market data they'll let you place a trade on your smartphone in just four taps or if you're on desktop you can view some of their stock collections they've got the 100 most popular they've got certain sectors uh, as well even some more curated categories such as female ceos is a category that they have they'll personalize the news feed for you and you can get custom notifications for price movement so you never miss the right moment to invest so right now Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like apple ford or sprint to help build your portfolio the way you get started with them a little different than the usual here it's the cap spaces at the beginning capspace.robinhood.com that's capspace.robinhood.com easy to remember we talk about it here constantly on the program that's capspace.robinhood.com Okay, let's turn to Utah now. They sit at 9 and 11, but a mere 2 and 5 in their last seven. They did it right the ship with a blowout win over the Kings. San Donovan Mitchell tonight, who was out with a, a rib contusion. Negative 0.2 net rating is 17th. That cleaning the glass number is going to look better than their raw numbers because they've had two really ugly blowout losses that, that it kind of cuts off counting once it gets up to total blowout status. Offense is 23rd in the nba not great defense is ninth and they still project uh, for 49 wins by 538 which would put them fifth in the conference you buying that 49 wins liam uh i don't know i mean i I have no clue how to figure out the west this season so um i I do think the last couple games have been a little bit more positive i think their defense has really gotten back on track even though they lost to la that was a really good defensive performance and the game against the kings it was encouraging so and, and this has been a rough opening stretch for the schedule so I think I think yeah I'd put, I'd take the over on that if uh, you you made me choose. So we got a couple of questions here uh, from Becca Moros Flop Gif. Yeah, I'm a gif man. Deal with it. And also from DJ Bracken talking about potential trades for f- favors his overall value. A Liam, do you think that they would look to move him? And B, you know, what could they get for him if anything? Well, I think given this the way this franchise has worked over the last couple of years, I'd be very surprised if they traded him. And I don't think he has much value out there i think his contract's something like 16 million this year and I don't, he, he's a really he's a really strange player to me where he, i think it's pretty clear he's a five at this point and he's been actually really efficient offensively he's he's stretched out to be at least you know semi-capable three-point shooter you could you could see him like actually developing it developing it into a more of a weapon in the future it's not there yet he's shooting well for mid-range he's he's finishing at the rim well but lineups with him at center just aren't defending at all and that that's been the case for like two years it's a 113.6 six defensive rating with him at center this year so I, I don't know how much of a market there is for a center that can score pretty efficiently as a role man hit mid-range jumpers but can't really anchor a good defense uh, where are you guys at with him well he's got that non-guarantee for next year late guarantee date as well so that makes him a, a little bit more movable but the jazz aren't going to be interested in making a trade where they take on long-term salary either uh, and he is a valuable player for them a, a backup center i think you're going to run into the same issues with him is there's who needs a center who sees him as a starting center you know i think he's more of an offensive five on the second unit and we'll see i mean his stock his stock will go up if the jazz play better right like it's one of those things where i think his stock is down a little bit now because the jazz aren't looking as good as people might have thought at the beginning of the year but 
you know then you're also the worse you play the more you want to make a trade so your assets can become undervalued there so i i don't see him especially just because you know what team is going to trade for him thinking like oh man this guy is really and especially when you consider all the teams that drafted young centers this year and those guys are generally playing pretty well yeah it's tough to find a landing spot uh, for him where do you want to go next here liam well can i just touch on one more thing there i think the the favors go bear lineups are getting a little bit too much criticism this year the numbers aren't good offensively they got a 99 offensive rating but i think that's mostly because like ricky rubio and donovan mitchell have been terrible to start the season uh just efficiency wise so i think you saw last season that lineup can be you know effective now in the playoffs that might struggle more but it's it's not a tire fire or anything so i i I wouldn't sell high on them but as far as uh next question um i'm interested what you guys think on this is from steve song uh he asked thoughts on donovan mitchell's offensive inefficiency this year and i guess i just want to know like how concerned you guys are with uh how his play this year i think the expectations were just a little bit out of line for him i expected him to take an incremental step forward and if you look at the evolution of his stats i mean they're not much different than they were last year you know he's struggling from 329 he also started slow the first month last year so you know he hasn't been he hasn't taken some uh, amazing leap yet uh but you know he's finishing around the rim uh, about the same as he was taking fewer shots there i mean i think the the biggest thing you might point to is he's taking more floaters and hitting fewer of them than he did a year ago and he's basically traded shots at the rim for floaters but i mean this team is shooting 32 percent from three and they're missing a ton of wide open threes so i think if they just start hitting more shots and we saw that that begin uh against the kings uh, last night or at least if not begin uh the trend averted for at least one game so yeah i think uh i think he's fine it's just you know if he's if check back in two months if he still hasn't taken a step forward then maybe you can be a little more concerned i was going to bring up the trading shots at the rim for floaters which is is a concern also his free throw attempt rate hasn't gone down yet but so, some so that's actually something that i think is a positive because sometimes when you see those go together then that's a guy being less aggressive when i've watched mitchell i haven't really seen too much of that and the shot's not going in i mean that affects things like assist rate affects offensive rating of course whether they're his shots or other people like the 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 other jazz aren't hitting as many threes as we would like as well so yeah i'm not super concerned at this point and this will be a common refrain from me on the rest of this podcast is people overusing comparisons of a small sample size to a full season and thinking something yes so he he has been worse clearly than last year but every guy goes through rough patches so as you said check back in two months because if this is just if this is more in line with who he is this year then we have a different conversation but maybe it just so happens with him just like it's for some players it is that their worst stretch of the season is the beginning and so i i like to wait on that before making big pronouncements because there's no rush to it what do we what is the benefit unless we see something structural and if we do you and i will always say it. well the last thing on him said a lot of nagging injuries he also missed time in the summer uh after that foot injury that he suffered in the playoffs so you know he missed tonight's game he's had some ankle issues he's had some soreness so i think that could be a nagging issue as well and he's only got six dunks so far this year after 42 last year and we're almost a quarter of the way through the season all right liam we got about two minutes left here so if you want to just take two more and answer them uh go for it uh sure so becca more well you asked that one already um Darcy Corbett asked, is Rubio a positive asset for the Jazz? And I, I think the more inter- interesting interpretation of that is uh, what is Rubio's you know free agency value? Because I'd be very surprised if the Jazz trade him. I think they view him as very important to the team. But I mean, I don't know. He's an interesting guy. I think before the year, if if he was a free agent, the, uh, 
this past offseason, I think the Jazz are ready to pay him because they were convinced that with the continuity of the system, you know, Rubio could finally get his shooting a little bit better. He was really hot towards the end of last season. And I think it's really disappointing for them this year to see the kind of shooting stretch that, he had, that he's had. And I think a lot of the offensive struggles and when Rubio is not willing to take a shot and he's he's not a threat, I think it, it's kind of like, a, you know, a cascading effect for the rest of the team where Mitchell's taking more shots. He's not as efficient. And then there's a lot of turnovers where Rubio will just pass the ball away and that'll hurt the defense. So I don't know. I'm interested to see where he, what he gets in free agency as far as a deal. I I, I don't know if uh, a team would exactly invest him in as, as a starting point guard at this point. Um, but it, he again, he might get a halo effect from having a hot finish to the season like he usually does. So yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. Do you guys want to share anything you on could that? Just uh, real quickly, you could see him getting kind of the Gar- Darren Collison sort of deal, the like bridge point guard, you know, a, a couple years around $10 million, maybe a non-guarantee on the second year. But he, he favors, I mean, like this is such an interesting year for the Jazz. If they have a really good year, you could see them bringing back this core. If they don't, you could see everyone except for Mitchell, Gobert, and Ingles not really being a part of this going forward, at least among uh, their main guys. Um, all right, I think we're actually out of time here. So uh, let's uh, move on here to, we'll just do the rest in alphabetical order. The Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Danny, what are their fundamentals? The Dallas Mavericks are now 9-9 nine and because nine they are 5-1 and one since the last 15 and 60. Their negative 0.1 net rating puts them 16th in the NBA. They are 14th in offense, 16th in defense, and 538 projects them to have 33 wins, which would put them 13th in the Western Conference. Well, why don't we start with with this question, since I know you did some research on it. How has the Dennis Smith-Luka Doncic pairing been so far, asked Sean Dooley? It's been very good for Dennis Smith, and that's a place to start with this. Something that I actually talked about this before the season that was something I wanted to see with this pairing was last year, Dennis Smith was really awful on on pull-up threes, and he took a lot of them, and now he's doing all less of that. He's also almost not playing at all without Luka. It's like three minutes a game or something crazy like that. And so now his proportion is he's playing more kind of like not an off ball point guard but but like but more in that range more catch and shoot than pull up and now you know he's gone from being a 31 percent free three-point shooter to a 39 percent three-point shooter and so a lot of that is shooting better on pull-ups and all that we don't know if it's going to continue it's been good for him something that's interesting is that dallas's offense has been meaningfully better when Doncic plays without smith than when it plays with him and we're dealing with sample size issues here we're still you know 18 games in the season for dallas and they play a lot together but i think part of the reason there is that jj Bray is a better offensive player than Dennis Smith right now. So I generally like the idea of pairing anybody, if you can do it without sacrificing other things, pairing two ball handlers together, especially one guy maybe who's a little bit better off ball and one guy who's a little bit better on ball. But I'm not 100% sure that Dennis Smith is that guy, partially because of his size makes certain defenses difficult. But the concept of it, I think that you, I haven't seen anything this year that makes me say, you can't do this. I just think they should be looking at more options than Justin Smith yeah and Smith obviously I, I mean we're seeing Kemba Walker I, I don't think Smith is going to be as good as Walker but you know, Kemba Walker is having his best season at, at age 29 uh, and point guards generally peak later than other positions and uh, especially if they're short also fall off earlier than other positions so it's far too early to say what Smith is going to be but JJ Barrett yeah is having an unbelievable season I mean just some stats on him in addition to being great in the on-off stuff, well, actually, you know what? His box score stats are not that great. He's just been really good lately. He actually struggled at first, but uh, yeah, he's got a really interesting sets. 27% usage, 49% true shooting, a ton of assists, 48% assist percentage, and 
and they just you know that bench unit always does really well with him uh, on the floor um would you feel comfortable letting deandre jordan leave in free agency and start maxi kleba next season asked micah stewart well number one kleba is a restricted free agent of course they can retain him i don't expect that he's going to get an offer that they just are not interested in and he also has a very very low capital should end up about two hundred thousand dollars above the minimum salary so they can do all of their other cap space stuff and bring him back uh, at a, a pretty good number uh you know I, I think deandre is a very good offensive center just due to his gravity the fact that he can shoot free throws now helps too he, he actually shot a technical free throw the other day but, but missed it uh but he's really bad defensively at this point there's been some reporting about how he's kind of viewed as selfish the the rebound stealing being a, a small indication of that he's re- quite statuesque defensively at this point in time just cannot get out on the floor or won't get on the floor any longer you certainly want to have other options i mean kleba and powell are both pretty undersized they might want to at least have one more guy who can bang a little bit but yeah i think i would feel pretty good about that especially considering kleba's low cap hold assuming that they could find somewhere some other way to really load up on the wing if there's just value at the center position then maybe they do want to go there but no i think kleba is totally adequate and paying much for deandre jordan going forward especially if you're going to try and build around smith and donjic neither of whom project to be great defensive players at a minimum uh, i think you need a more of a stalwart defensive center out there right and that's why i'm more confident in the first part of that letting deandre leave sure. than kleba not that kleba is a bad player but deandre also doesn't fit in from an age perspective this is his age 30 season and while he has been durable and durability is an important thing because you want guys to be on the floor i could see his defense aging you know as he gets what loses some of his physical advantages over time he's already lost a lot of that and and they can go in a lot of different directions defensively. And so one of the things I would look for in centers is just kind of going for different defensive archetypes. Like, do you want somebody who's a little bit switchier? Do you want somebody who can be more of that just stand at the rim and, and block block shots guy? They can go in some different directions with that. But broadly speaking, I think money is better spent at positions other than center. So because there's so much value there and Dallas isn't a center away. And those are the teams that should still spend on it. But there aren't that many teams that are there now at, or will be really at, at any point over the next couple of years. And this is one I thought was interesting from Eddie McClure. Should the Mavericks get in on the Porter or Beal sweepstakes? And the reason I think this is is fascinating from Dallas's perspective is this idea of how valuable is their cap space. So Dallas could clear money in 2019, 2020, or both, depending on what happens with Harrison Barnes and a few other factors. Beal is a really compelling fit for me with Luca because he can play on and off. And Beal, I think of him more as a two, but you can kind of bounce around with some of the positional stuff there and he can shoot obviously that's that's the strength of his but also i think he showed when wall was out that beal can be a better playmaker than maybe the the wizards have asked him to be for the most part that also might be causing i'm theorizing this might be causing some friction in in dc right now so i would consider that porter is more of a fallback type of option because he already makes a ton of money and he can't i don't think scaling up his role will do him the favors that it might do for bradley beal so i would consider it with beal but the big difference also is yeah you're getting a player who might be better than what they could what they will do with their cap space in 2019 but you also presumably have to give up assets now if they could get Bradley Beal for a limited return yeah absolutely I mean I think he would be a good fit for them and better than the guys they could get but if they have to give up you know significant assets to make that happen because that's where the market is I wouldn't do that with where they are well, right and now. I don't think they have the firepower to get them I mean, they, like they're, yeah they're that's are, true they don't have their own first round right. pick this year pro- probably so yeah I mean I, I'm not really sure what they could 
give up that would be appealing to Washington that they realistically would want. I don't think that Smith would be enough to get it done. And, you know, maybe if they moved Wall as well, they could be more interested in something like that. But uh, I don't know if Smith has that type of value yet. All right, that'll do it for the Mavs. Let's move on to the Nuggets. I actually saw them in person on Monday in Milwaukee. Thank you, SeatGeek. I was very impressed with their defense in that game uh i thought that Jokic, although again you know he remains limited at the highest levels he has had a lot more in terms of multiple efforts this year i think that's been the biggest difference with him he's always had pretty good intelligence but he's actually getting out on the floor uh, you know making plays uh, around the rim uh, there's a, a one that was highlighted by uh, harrison wind on twitter which was very impressive uh, in person where he got out to assure he's guarding lopez a, a lot of the time and then was able to get back and make a stop at the rim uh their net rating is third in the nba plus 7.2 gotten up to eighth in offense uh, after a, a slow start and the defense is fourth i mean that is a very strong combination they project for 52 wins which would be third in the western conference where do you want to start here in terms of questions well we have one from zornio thurston solid old solid author reference uh do you think jamal murray has stalled this year this is going to sound similar to donovan mitchell but my answer is not yet because the biggest difference between jamal murray offensively i think he's been better defensively as well not not as pronounced a difference as Jokic, but i do think he's competing more on that end than he was before is that his three is not going in. I mean, 31% this year, 38% last year, and his proportion has actually dropped pretty significantly, which is notable for now. We'll see if that continues. He's also getting to the line a little bit less and not making as many shots at the rim. But when I watch Murray, I don't see a player who is fundamentally different in a negative way from last year. It's just that the shot isn't falling. And so if he's a 34, 35% shooter and last year was an aberration, then yeah, that might be, I wouldn't even say that stalled it's just it's just a different calibration of what he is but i still think there's there's a lot there and that he he hasn't performed up to what i expect him to do the rest of the season so i wouldn't call that stalling especially when he's been better defensively and the team is still kind of figuring out how they want to maximize the combination of of murray and Jokic. and there is an adjustment period for both those guys and i think Jokic has done well as a facilitator but it can be hard and i mean murray has the highest assist rate of his career yeah i mean he did have that that 40 point game as well i mean just watching him you know not looking at the stats it seems that he's actually made progress to me you know i think he's shown more of an ability to get his own shot in isolation he's flashed more moves uh and obviously you mentioned the defense as well finishing at the rim is down a little bit but i think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that they just don't have as much spacing this year you know they've been playing guys like craig and Millsap a fair amount of time and paul Millsap has gotten to the point where he's not really a positive positive offensive player except in certain situations with the ball in his hands when he has a mismatch but he's not helping them space the floor uh you know and remember he missed so much time last year and didn't play a ton when he was back but so yeah if the three-point shooting improves you know i I don't make much of the finishing at the rim i don't you know he doesn't look worse uh, on those plays to me so uh no i think he's doing just fine he looks like just watching him a better player and you know same as mitchell if uh two months from now he's still not shooting it well you know that's a concern i mean there was hope that he also remember too that he starts every year shooting terrible for the first month of the season um so i don't know if there's anything to be made of that or not uh i'll take this one real quickly uh eric arfa asked what should the nuggets rotation rotation look like when isaiah thomas and will barton return i think you get tory craig out of there i'd like to still see wancho play i think though maybe he could take trey lyle's spot in the rotation i like him better as a shooter and a, a defender than lyle so that probably brings 
brings you back to having will barton in uh, again uh you know i think will be interesting to see whether he comes back in you know murray now is playing as kind of the primary creator on the second unit alongside morris that that used to be barton's job so it'll be interesting to see what they want to do there as far as playing those two guys together uh, or not on the second unit which has been very effective this year i think you probably stick with that unit since it's been good and just you know have barton try to juice the offense of the starters a little bit you know barton could also be an interesting trade candidate potentially as well you know to a team that just you know i mean he's miscast as a three so to just maybe see if there's another team that would be interested in him uh and to see if they could get back more of a wing guy but that's always difficult uh to trade small for big when it comes to wings uh and then isaiah i don't i frankly don't expect to be a contributor for this team monte morris has been so good they've gotten good production on the second unit already with murray i think murray is better than thomas you know maybe if isaiah like isaiah is gonna have to get back to being offensively what he was two years ago or at least somewhat close to that like the player that he was last season which is what i'm expecting after missing you know another nine months with hip surgery uh which looks like what it's gonna be uh you know i don't think that player really helps him much to be honest he can function really i mean obviously if he plays well enough to to jump somebody in the rotation then then you have that conversation but he also works as a a nice injury or a foul trouble replacement for morris for murray you know you can do a lot with having another person for when things go wrong because things always do at various points during the season and so having isaiah out there i've i'm not going to answer this as a question but i've been when i've been watching the nuggets this year especially with with the role that Millsap has played in their defense i've wondered a little bit about if michael porter can be healthy for them not this year but you know moving forward what his role is going to be and it's probably going to be in the abstract for this year but just the idea of having another super talented guy especially with his offensive gifts on this team would just be fascinating yeah a couple quick questions here on monte morris ben jenkins and uh jan or jan i'm not sure uh studebaker uh, asking a about Morris's play and you know I think he's he's been a revelation for them he's not going to continue to shoot 43 percent from downtown uh, he's not really a guy who puts a ton of pressure uh, on the rim but he's a great decision maker never turns the ball over that's uh, amazing that he's averaging 0.8 turnovers per 36 minutes and 6.1 assists uh but you know he's actually not averaging that many more assists uh, than Murray is I was critical of Malone when I thought I didn't realize that it was disciplinary at the time, although I thankfully in my tweet I put that caveat in. But I was like, why are you starting Morris over Murray? You know, they had lost a few straight. I was like, oh, is this like, is he actually doing this because he thinks it gives him the best chance to win? And number one, I don't think it gives him the best chance to win. Uh, but number two, you know, Monte Morris is a nice backup point guard. He's not going to move beyond that. Maybe he could be, you know, the 25th best point guard in the NBA. Like as a franchise, I mean, it's important to remember your three key guys here are Jokic, Harris, and Murray, and those guys are, you know, 20. 23 or under basically so harris is 24 this season so you're not getting to where you want to be as a franchise unless you're gonna actualize jamal murray and so you know if there if there are people who think that morris should start over him i I don't agree that he gives them the best chance to win i mean i think there's an argument that just oh you pure point guard can run pick and roll blah blah but you know you still got nikola Jokic there they have a a lot of other moving pieces like uh morris for good or for real is going to have the ball in his hands or need to more than a lot of these guys 
guys uh and again you know i don't uh his three-point shooting his volume it's a nice step forward for him in theory but you know i don't think he's going to continue to shoot as well as he has and the volume there is not enormous either uh all right should we get to golden state here yeah let's do it the warriors are 14 and 7 3 and 4 since last 15 and 60 plus 7 net rating has them fourth second in offense 12th in defense 538 projects them to win 60 games which would be number one in the west and they have retaken number one in the overall nba from toronto who had it for the time when the warriors had that four game losing streak and a number i want to start with before we get into the questions this is something you and i've talked about i think you've mentioned this on twitter that the warriors turn into the golden state mid-rangers when stephen curry is mid-rangers the mid-rangers sorry (laughs) and and the stats totally bear that out so this season when steph curry is on the floor the warriors take about one-fifth of their shots 21 percent from mid-range making 45 percent which is very good when steph curry is off the floor that 21 percent goes up to 32 percent of their of their shots twos outside the paint right it's like the long twos outside the paint yeah yeah Yeah. so that's twos outside the paint yeah that's i I use the um the the chart that i think it's the nba.com actually i think it's just the way they defined it because i was doing with without player in one of the filters they have and when you so that change that's 10 percent of their shots that go into mid-range when he's not playing half of those shots about come from the restricted area obviously less efficient even though the Warriors are shooting 51 percent on mid-rangers without curry still less efficient there and then the other half come from three and that part makes a lot more sense because curry is one of about four guys on this team that can actually make a three-pointer so you pull those shots out and that is a big part of why their offense has struggled beyond the fact that they don't really have a Steph Curry replacement as a creator as well and you know it, it is a fundamentally different team and there are a couple different questions that get along to this point and ask like J.K. Bakers of do the Warriors need to make some changes or should they wait for Steph to come back and as long as Steph Curry is going to be back for the playoffs and obviously with this injury he is but that was more of a case last year then you don't have to worry about this as much I mean Steph Curry is the system and maybe you have contingency plans but every team is going to look different without their star every team is going to be less effective without their star and it's a lot to basically say it's one of those things that's easier in a video game or easier in the abstract than in real life to say oh yeah when Steph Curry's not available we're going to completely change our offense like that's not something that teams can do schematically very often because it requires so much of their players maybe they can take different burdens and that's kind of what the Warriors have looked like the last couple games I think also they've started playing more guys who can shoot now Jarebko has taken on a larger role I mean they've even brought out Steph Curry's brother-in-law Damian Lee I can't remember if it's brother-in-law or future brother-in-law uh but Lee you know his one real talent is shooting you know he's not really an NBA quality athlete uh but he'll at least bomb it when he's open so just getting a few more guys out there who will take threes I think has opened things up they've actually had some nice offensive performances their last two games home wins against Portland and Sacramento um you could take this one really quickly if KD or Clay leaves this summer does that expand the Warriors options for keeping Cousins asked Bill Eisenstein I have a piece in even more detail on this coming out at the athletic theathletic.com slash cap space in the next few days the answer is broadly no technically speaking if both of them left they would have cap space to offer more than non-bird but really not not significantly so demarcus cousins should be treated as a one-year experiment and if those guys left the warriors should be using their cap space this is kind of one of the theses of the piece if the warriors did lose both those guys they would be better they would be wiser to use their cap space on perimeter players than demarcus cousins because that's what they'd be replacing uh curry to dre pick and pop 
top updated evaluation of golden state's non-stars given their increased roles recently and i think you know what you're getting with the most of these vets uh you just hope they hang on to it so really i think we're talking about quinn cook here uh, you want to start with him just like 20 seconds so on cook him. Yeah, I mean, defensively, when you put him against starters, he gets attacked a lot. I mean, he's just small, and he's not he's not great there. Buddy Heald actually had some really nice possessions yeah. on him. And then offensively, he's aggressive with his shot, not a great creator, so more of a, a second unit guy at, you know, and making second unit money is fine. Yeah, he's a limited passer. Uh, I think he started to try to get a little more aggressive with his three-pointer, particularly in the Portland game, uh, which he's a good three-pointer, over 40%. I think he, he needs to do that. Not going to get to the rim at all. Uh, and, you know, against good defense, I think he struggles you know you saw him get blocked a couple of times uh, in that Sacramento game uh, on jumpers which is never a, a great sign for a guy but no I think he's he's valuable in the sense that he can replace Steph Curry don't think he has a huge role once Curry returns uh Kevon Looney I've I've been actually impressed with his progress as a finisher this season he's also had a, a little bit more verve making decisions uh, attacking the rim so I think he, you know he's uh, looked like more of a, a quality player you know doesn't have a ton of upside but at least you know he's not missing layups the, the way we saw from although he did have a big miss in that Clippers game uh Alfonso McKinney we haven't seen at all he's been out um how about Damian Jones very offensively limited I mean he did have a couple of drives to the basket in the Sacramento game because the Kings were largely doubling on pick and rolls and so that was giving him that option I didn't know he had any of that in his game I'm not sure he does against better defenses and defensively he is just not a good player right now his recognition isn't great he doesn't get to the right spots and so he is the third best healthy center true center on the Warriors I mean he's obviously worse than Draymond as well and for whatever reason the Warriors choose to prioritize developing him over Jordan Bell even though those guys are six months apart in age and have similar contract structures though bell is technically a, a restricted free agent when you're really yeah you actually asked steve kerr uh, about why it is uh, that jones is starting it and here's what he had to say coach how has your process of dividing up the center minutes been affected by the inevitability that demarcus cousins is going to come in at some point but you don't know exactly when uh i don't really factor it in um we're, we're the, what we're doing right now is um going with certain matchups um, while we're trying to develop uh, Damien. I feel more comfortable with uh, with Loon and, and um, Jordan just because they've been here and they've got experience. They've played in the finals. They've played uh, they've played enough in this league to really have a good feel. And um, Damien, you can tell, is up and down. He's done some good things and he struggled. But um, we, we're not going to just take him out of the lineup. We want to continue to give him minutes and to help him grow and help him learn. And, and so the process is really about you know, giving, giving him an opportunity to grow and keeping the other guys um, invested and, and active and you know, try to win games. So trying to do it all at once. Jordan Bell looked tentative uh, offensively uh, at times. You know, I think he hasn't finished quite as well around the rim as he did last year. Uh, but I think overall, he's by far the best offensive player of those three guys. Uh, he runs the floor more. You know, that that's one he makes better, quicker decisions. By far the best passer of those three as well. And then defensively, I, I thought he's looked really good moving his feet. He's getting better at, at knowing player tendencies as well you know i think he's looked like the best switch guy though surprisingly looney outplayed him in that regard in the houston series last year but he's looked really good you know again though so much of this is you know what are the, these guys all going to look like in the playoffs like jarebko is another guy i don't even really want to talk about him that much because uh just like with the jazz he's just so bad in individual defense that i think against the best teams he's going to struggle uh and won't be playing by the end of the series um all right we got 30 seconds left here you want to do one more 
Sure. Do the last few weeks make you question whether Steve Kerr is the top tier coach in the league from MC Lopez Caparo? No, because he built an offense around Stephen Curry that the prior coach did not. And it would take a, a lot of coaches couldn't do that in the first place. And because Kerr's weaknesses as a coach are more obvious in certain ways to people, it becomes easier to forget the positives that make those negatives more important. And, you know, overplaying guys like Damian Jones and Anderson Verjao, those are much smaller problems than keeping stars happy, building a culture where guys, you know, guys like Clay Thompson and Draymond Green can be happy not taking as many shots. Those are bigger coaching things. Having the guys compete defensively when they have to, being resting guys, those things are more important for a good coach than knowing how to run the offense when your best player is hurt. Yeah, and Steph will be back shortly. Uh, ultimately, what did they go when with Steph and Draymond out three and four, essentially? So, you know, with four of those road games, that's not bad. Or maybe it was three and five. Um, so... I think he's made some adjustments now to get some guys who maybe aren't as heralded but provide a little bit more shooting into the lineup and no i mean the guys won three of the last four championships and built this system so i no i'm not going to question it based on the fact that they lost four games in a row um all right let's move on to the houston rockets a relative dearth of question here for uh, the now nine and nine houston rockets four and two since the last 15 and 60 negative 1.0 net rating still is uh 18th it seemed as if they had righted the ship and then uh, lost a couple of games in cleveland without chris paul and uh a close one in detroit uh, so they are back down at 500 again up to 11th in offense they'd had a pretty good run offensively until these last couple of games 20th in defense uh they project for 50 wins which would be fourth in the conference per 538 where do you want to start here i want to start with a question from renee Cantu. is the and the quotes around this rocket struggled because they lost a reza end quotes narrative overblown my answer is yes and no i think they miss having somebody like trevor reza more than they miss trevor Reza specifically. But I also think that his contributions for all of last season before the last two games of the conference finals are really underappreciated in certain corners. Just having a competent defender who can take and make threes that teams have to defend out there really did help make the Rockets offense sing. It was kind of like how they've missed the nay this year of just a baseline of competence that is sometimes hard to get. You know, right now they're using Hartenstein in that role and then various different, I mean, the misadventures with Carmelo Anthony early in the season. Gary Clark has been far better than I ever would have anticipated, but still, he's not Trevor Ariza. So that is a challenge for them. I've broadly been pretty happy with what James Ennis has done. I do want to watch more film on him defensively later on in later on in the year. I, I you know, just because the sample I see of them, you never you never know for sure if that's representative. But just having competent forwards. I mean, we talked about how whether it was due to ownership not wanting to pay a steep electric tax bill, that's actually what it was, or Daryl Morey believing in his ability to unearth diamonds in the rough at the wing position, that they were making a pretty big bet and they've done better I think on that bet than maybe I anticipated but they still could use you know Ariza and Mba Mute they're just baseline competence this year yeah Ennis 5.2 three-point attempts uh, per 36 minutes this year last year Ariza 7.3 and Ariza will take more difficult times we've seen a couple times where Ennis has tried to really bomb some but he's got a little hitch in his shot he doesn't look comfortable there I mean Ariza was just so comfortable in this Houston system having been there for four years uh, and 
both offensively you know he probably provides a little bit more off the dribble as well maybe a little bit better one-on-one defender against bigger wings so you know i think ariza is just a slight upgrade what they got from him last year is a slight upgrade over ennis and remember also that they're missing about mute who, who provided them with a lot of competence i mean and if you just look at some of the stats here i mean i, I think you know ennis has the worst net rating of any of their rotation players right now you know he missed the time with that hamstring he looked to still be struggling with it even a, a couple of games after he came back but you know they've got michael carter williams out of the lineup now they got carmelo out of the lineup they're getting something good from gary clark Gerald green is back hartenstein actually has 17.8 net rating uh, amazingly enough although you know i'm not sure how much he has to do with that other than getting a lot of offensive rebounds uh so i i think it's really more about just what you're saying is like just having enough quality players like that's one you know just having kind of these guys who are not quite there not quite versed in the system you don't have to quite respect them defensively as a switch guy or shooting the three and then you know whether you want to say james harden and chris paul played worse it's just so many factors i think that ariza is you know the loss of him would is you know maybe 20 percent of what's gonna next question we can go chris davis can the rockets climb back into the top three of the west i will go a step further and say i expect them i agree i'm not saying it's a guarantee but they're not far behind in the loss column i mean so they're three behind the clippers two behind the nuggets and thunder in the loss column i think they are a better basketball team than those squads they also have dealt with with injuries all those teams have obviously i mean okc still missing robertson but i think they're better and we're only 20 games into the season for most of these teams so i will i will pick the team that i think will be better over the remaining 60 over a two-game lead and the rockets i mean i i still think a lot of it is there and while i the concerns i have about them in the playoffs are largely still there and we'll have to see what happens in the buyout market actually relates to another question we have on them i think that in the regular season they're they're fine and they they have so much talent and their scheme will lead them to be a really good offense team even if they're not historic like last year so yeah i expect it yeah i agree with you and you know if there are another team on pace for over 55 wins besides golden state which i expect to get back to that level once curry returns then i might be a little more skeptical but i actually would probably give houston the best chance of getting the two seed of maybe any team outside of golden state um who's in that battle although you know i don't feel confident about that i think there are five teams that might end up with the two seed next question here best realistic trade target for the rockets I don't have a specific person in mind, but I wanted to convey a general idea here. And that is that it is very hard for Houston to make a big trade because of how their money is structured. I mean, their three most expensive players are Harden, Paul, and Capella. Those guys are going absolutely nowhere. Then you have Eric Gordon, who I think they want to keep, PJ Tucker, who I know they want to keep, and Brandon Knight, who nobody wants. So it gets hard to make a lot of these deals. That's why I think Houston is a much better buyout destination than trade team because, yeah, maybe they could use guys like Marquise Chris, maybe Mello once we get to December 15th, things like that. But even then you're looking more like a five to $7 million player. That's a lot harder to find. So my expectation would be that guys will leave money on the table and say, Hey, I can go to Houston. I might be able to get reliable rotation minutes. That's a better path for them than to trade because especially Brandon Knight just makes so much damn money. Yeah. And you can argue that perhaps that's why Minnesota was not interested in the four first round picks offered because some of those first round picks are just the price of having to absorb Knight's salary. Now Knight uh, expires in the summer of 2020. So maybe the path is, you know, Kent Bazemore is someone who's been mentioned. He's actually out of the starting lineup now in Atlanta. 
he doesn't quite have the ideal size you would want as a switch guy he does have pretty good length but maybe you know one of houston's first round picks uh, the fact that they're struggling might actually make those picks a little more attractive and you might say okay we'll give up a first to get kent Bazemore. you take back brandon knight you know and we're paying that first for the difference in quality of player between Bazemore and knight they make relatively similar money Bazemore makes a, a little bit more so maybe chris would have to be included in that deal as well because uh, they will not be interested in adding much salary in a deal like that i would imagine uh okay we're gonna get to the clippers the west leading los angeles clippers after this uh, from simple context i am lucky i've never needed contacts but my wife definitely does and they really have kind of been a bane for her for a long time not quite the bane of her existence but definitely just a, a, a regular bane to have to go in renew your prescription at the doctor's office that costs a ton go to the store buy your contacts and yeah you definitely need to still go in for a periodic full eye health exam but if you're just renewing your prescription simple contacts is the way to go it's designed by ophthalmologists and a licensed doctor reviews every online test so you skip the office visit but you don't skip the care it's just minutes to take their vision tests online and then renew your prescription reorder your contacts from wherever you can bring a smartphone and internet connection this vision test is only twenty dollars to so much less expensive than it would be if you go in to a doctor's office and you're going to save a ton of time as well their contact lens prices are unbeatable and their standard shipping is free as well so you can get 20 dollars off your contacts at simplecontacts.com slash dunk 20 that's d-u-n-c 20 different code this time dunk 20 or enter code dunk 20 at checkout that's simplecontacts.com slash dunk 20 d-u-n-c 20 or enter code dunk 20 at checkout to get 20 dollars off your contacts all right what are the fundamentals on the clippers they are 13 and 6 5 and 1 since the last time we did this including a win on sunday against the portland trailblazers in portland they are 7th in net rating 6th in offense 13th in defense and 538 projects them to finish with 43 wins which would be ninth in the western conference yeah and their three-point shooting against uh, has normalized quite a bit 34 percent, which is a normal range now so some of the reasons that we thought their defense would regret you know it's really has been okay it's gone down a, a little bit but their offense obviously has been outstanding big win on the road in portland tonight and this is one that we could start with here what is the largest contract for tobias harris the clippers should be comfortable with this summer and i think question number one is do you want to make him one of your two big pieces right they should have double max room this summer and if you bring him back he's basically one of your two big pieces that you're bringing in the way he's played this season so far you're you worry a little bit about paying for him at the top of the market but he's taken a step forward each season you have to admire the way that he's improved since coming into the league and it's pretty remarkable really how he's essentially been traded for nothing twice in his career uh before the griffin trade he got traded for jj reddick a half season of jj reddick a third season of jj reddick when he was younger and then just got essentially dumped from the magic to the pistons in 2015 15-16 but you know I think just in, in a vacuum he strikes me as kind of you know a 25 million dollar a year player does that seem right to you based on how he's played this season Danny yeah that seems about right I mean forwards are incredibly valuable around the league right now and while Tobias Harris isn't you know a wing stopper he can provide offensive value at the four and then defensively I think of him more as a secondary guy on the wing so you can pair him with a lot of different type of players he's meshed pretty well with Danilo Gaunari who has been an important part of their success 
Harris this year. And while it has been a meandering journey for Harris, this is his age 26 season. So we should still be seeing a little bit of growth from him. I'm I'm interested in where, where his game goes. This might be even pretty close to his peak. I mean, like right now, you know, he's been in the, you know, 16, 17 PER range for the last couple of years. He's above that right now, but again, small sample size of, the, of it. So for the type of player he's been over the last couple of years, 25 million is about right. His cap hold, which matters in certain circumstances for the Clippers, is about 22 million. And yeah, so they could maybe, they could maybe bring in a third piece, you know, making around 15 million if they wanted to then hold, hold yeah. on to him and then exceed the cap to sign him. Yeah, or they could, you know, try to move on from Gallinari, who will then be an expiring contract and clear a little bit more. They could go in a lot of different directions. The Clippers have so little locked in salary that they can go in those directions. And so the challenge is they're doing it all at the same time. You know, they'll be having all of those negotiations. And so I think Harris meshes with a lot of what they do. So yeah, that 25 million range, I, I would say that's more where I would have his average value than his starting salary, though that can change depending on how the deal is structured. But, you know, if it's 25 and then when you're talking in his, you know, early 30s, you're getting closer to 30, 31 million, that's probably a little bit rich to me. But if you had it at a flat 25 or however you want to structure it, that'd probably be. Yeah, and with full bird rights, uh, using cap space this year, they could start it higher and then decline it potentially as well, making him uh, a little bit better uh, of a trade possibility. I mean, a lot of it just comes down to, well, what are you doing if you're going to re-sign him, right? I mean, if you get Kawhi Leonard and then he's kind of the best you can do after that, yeah, I think you bring him back. I think you try to, you know, 2020 doesn't have the star power that this free agent market does. If he's the best guy you can get and you got Kawhi Leonard, yeah, you feel pretty good. If he, Tobias Harris, is the best guy you can get, then you wonder, okay, where are we really going with this, you know, with him as our highest played player, as our best player? How do you get much better at this point? And so much, of course, depends on, you know, how they end the season as well. You know, if they make the playoffs, they get to the second round. I mean, it's impossible to know where these guys are going to end up. I I expect they're going to come back to earth, but they're having a wonderful season so far. So, uh next question here could you see Montrez harrell eventually starting at the five i can't just because for whatever reason he's undersized and doc rivers doesn't want to do that it's also just a way to nominally keep Mar- martin gortat engaged as oh you're starting even though you're getting the keith bogans uh but i would love to see him start at the five i, I think he would have a, a huge matchup advantage against a, a lot of these centers right out of the gate and then you also run into the problem with both he and lou williams of well when are you going to get him rest if you want him to close the game and they're just limited to in the number of minutes that they can play so i mean i think you need to have him out there as much as possible he's been awesome we got a couple of different questions about what the clippers could do in terms of proactively trading for a player now bradley beal got mentioned a couple of times kemba walker got mentioned as well and those two guys are very different just because one is under contract and one is not there's a big risk in trading for kemba walker that he just leaves unless you have some sort of understanding and beal is fascinating to me for them specifically because you know pay committing to saying right now okay well you know we have all this flexibility but we're going to pay pay bradley beal 27.1 million next year they would still have the ability to add a max guy you know of kind of of the Kawhi tier yeah. i don't think they could get you they'd have Depends to clear something to get if somebody they put like gallo in that deal then it it uh maybe it gets more yeah. palatable but you know so true again like we talked about with the Mavs, is shea going to be in that deal i actually would consider doing that uh but you know they obviously are extremely high on him I and mean, jerome robinson 
Robinson hasn't played at all. He's probably suffering from driving the new car off the lot syndrome at this point. Uh, they've got that 2019 pick that if they make the playoffs goes to Boston. So they're a little encumbered there. So hard to imagine that they could come up with the best offer for Bradley Beal. Uh, who has more trade value, Avery Bradley or Courtney Lee, Danny? I mean, it's pretty clearly Avery Bradley because his contract is so much more favorable. So for those who are unfamiliar with the difference, Courtney Lee's 2019-20 contract is fully guaranteed, while Avery Bradley's is only partially guaranteed for $2 million until the offseason. So just on those grounds, I mean, you'd rather have Avery, you'd rather have Avery Bradley on his deal. And Courtney Lee's missed this whole season due to that kind of neck ailment is how it's been described most recently. So, I mean, while I don't, Bradley's kind of disappointed a little bit this year, I don't, I'm just not exactly sure how his game is going to age over the next couple of years. That difference in contract for me is, even if Lee was healthy, I think that would be more significant than the difference in player quality. Last one here. Best record at the end of the season, Clippers, Grizzlies, or Blazers? I will go with Blazers. I think they have the best player. I think they have the best track record of being good with this group. So uh, I would go Blazers. What about you? They also have the best track record of staying healthy with their key players, which is extremely important. I mean, that's something we should talk about briefly with LA. You and I both really like them at full strength. You like them more at less than full strength than I did. And that's why you were yeah. you they, went they way over, of over there over and you're looking very good on yeah. that. I mean, it, they if, have a if lot one of depth. Harris or Gallo I, goes down. If, I, if yeah. I knew Gallo right and and i just didn't want to bet on danilo gallinari's health and so we, we still don't know we're you know a, a fourth of the way into the season so where that yeah. can go but if luke comes i still back, think portland though, has if they luke have comes the, back they've the got a replacement for him though yeah i mean their offense would take a hit then yeah. and i mean this to me still is more of an offensive team but they've been you know they've been middle of the road in defense overall now and middle of the road is definitely good enough considering how strong their offense has been the lakers are 11 and 8 4 and 2 both losses to the orlando Magic. Uh, they really struggled to deal with Nikola Vucevic. I, I watched that game today, and when Vucevic was on the floor, I think he was plus 17, and just every Vuce pick and roll, the pick and pop was killing them. If they switched it, Vuce was getting into the post, uh, and obviously he had a, a fabulous game. He's having a fabulous season. I think he's actually a, a most improved player uh, candidate right now, uh, although most people won't see it that way because he was probably really overrated before this year. But as long as they're not playing the Magic, they've looked pretty good. Plus 1.4 net rating is 13. 13th in the NBA they have the 13th ranked offense which is a a little bit of a disappointment but up to 10th now in defense interestingly uh, enough first question would you trade Kuzma and Ingram for Beal no for a couple different reasons the biggest one being financial that if you take that money off the board because those traded the players are trading out cost a lot more than the player you're bringing in for next year not as much for this year then you're basically committing to Beal as the other guy next to LeBron and while I like Bradley Beal they can aim their sights higher even if they end up not getting those guys I still think the Lakers in particular have the incentive to say hey we should try for KD try for Kawhi Leonard and if we don't get them we'll see where we go and then you get into the realm of where Bradley Beal could be a pretty decent option there but they have to swing high and then also you're losing those guys in a deal for the the addition as opposed to getting somebody else and then trading those guys to get maybe somebody who's more in line with the LeBron James timeline any signs that Josh Hart will replace Kuzma in the starting lineup? Not really. I mean, Hart, he's been on the shelf intermittently with this ankle issue, but, you know, he didn't play much tonight. Actually, KCP was the one who played a ton, had a really nice defensive game with five steals, although uh, offensively, it was a, a struggle for him. He missed a couple of wide open threes uh, set up in the last couple of minutes when uh, the Lakers roared back to tie it. Uh, so, no, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Uh, how much credit does Tyson Chandler deserve for the Lakers' uh, recent? improved stretch. 
it deserves a decent amount of the credit. I mean, they've done so much better playing with true bigs. A lot of that is on the defensive end, just because the idea of LeBron James being the quote-unquote center, however you want to define terms there, those lineups couldn't defend at all. And they, they weren't as dominant offensively as I'd hoped, which again, negates some of the benefits. And the other big part of getting Tyson Chandler is that he replaced a lot of really negative minutes in their yeah. rotation. Like they were trying all these other things. And so Chandler does deserve credit for being meaningfully better than those guys. I mean, that that's important and also getting Luke Walton into lineups that made more sense. And Chandler, I think, has played well. I have skepticism that this will carry over into the playoffs. Not that I think that has to be the goal of signing Tyson Chandler in the first place, but it is worth considering. And this is something Kevin Pelton talked about in his piece. It's something I think both of us discussed on the pod when he signed is whether the Lakers feel that having Tyson Chandler, especially since it's going so well, is going to prevent them from making a a different move with roster spots depending on who's available. Now, I don't know who that's going to be, but if they go, we're not going to sign player X, not because of money, but because we don't want to cut somebody like Tyson Chandler, that is an understated opportunity cost, even if he's been a part of them doing so well recently. Yeah. And Chandler, I think his offensive limitations are undersold. He's a great offensive rebounder, but he's not a good finisher anymore. He can't get up for those alley-oops the way he used to. And while he and McGee are different players, Chandler skews a little more towards deep defense i think he he's slowed down certainly defensively now at, at age 36 i believe and I agree with you. I think they need someone a little bit more versatile to man that spot right now. Maybe you could see LeBron at center and play Ingram at the four and get Kuzma off the floor. You know, that's uh, that Kuzma is so limited as a help defender and he's no good on the perimeter either that maybe you can just get enough good defenders on the floor that that LeBron at center could work a little bit more. And, and LeBron, you know, is just not there as a regular season player. He guarded Jokic, okay, failed trying to guard Vucevic. They went to that as like a way to try and guard Vucevic and LeBron committed a foul then got spun by for a dunk with uh, minimal effort so yeah i do think they need a, a more versatile option should they get into the playoffs here uh is this the last year lebron makes the all nba first team i mean he's playing very well again especially offensively i would have to say probably just because i mean there's so many good forwards you know i mean you've still got kd you've got Giannis, you've got Kawhi. I mean, he might not even make it this year frankly i mean we'll see where the lakers end up you know if the lakers uh don't make the playoffs god forbid uh or you know or at the eighth seed or the seventh seed or something you know maybe he just makes it on a reputation but uh you know there's a, a lot of competition for that first team on NBA. and the next year i think i don't know if he's going to deserve it again especially based on his regular season play but if they get another star and they rolled at 55 60 wins or something like that you know I, I think he's more likely to get it in that situation uh and remember of course all nba is a regular season award it is and there's just as you said so much competition even though anthony davis is probably going to be center at least this year probably moving forward and that takes away one guy i mean i think anthony davis has a real good chance of having a better season than lebron james so if he's counted as a five then that goes there how about this one oh yeah yeah um no utah Uh, from Math Guy Dave, if only one of Lonzo or Ingram could get to 90% of their ceiling by next year, which first of all, it's not going to happen. But if, if it were, which would be best for the Lakers? And I guess that depends on whether how much shooting is involved. I mean, Lonzo is obviously his percentages are much better right now. I don't fully trust him there yet. But I'm actually going to say Brandon Ingram just because it's harder to find players like a 90% of his ceiling Brandon Ingram than it is to find a 90% Lonzo Ball as much as with you have when you have LeBron James. And if they didn't have LeBron, then having 
having somebody who can handle the ball, can find guys and everything else would be more important. But Ingram, long, intriguing with the ball in his hands, jump shot is still, you know, goes in even though he doesn't shoot enough. Though I think that would be one of the big parts that would improve if he got to the 90% of his ceiling. So I would say Ingram, even though I still prefer Lonzo as a basketball player, this question makes, uh, basically makes it an assumption that makes Ingram more valuable. Yeah. When you say jump shot, you mean it's three-point jump shot. He, uh, he takes plenty of long twos uh, yeah. at this point. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Like the fact... Him being willing to stay in the corner, staying in the corner, and draining those shots. Let's yeah. put it that well, way. Well, or even even above the break. or or. But, I mean, to me, really, the biggest part of him fulfilling his, his potential is on the defensive end, especially as a help defender. I mean, he just, he's, he's got to block Agreed. more shots. He's got to make more plays at the rim. You know, we haven't really seen that much uh, from him, especially in this game. You know, part of how you can deal with a guy like Vucevic is to have good help defenders crashing down from the wings. And he really was not able to make an impact in that role okay let's move to the grizzles as dan patrick used to call them 12 and 7 5 and 2 despite a a rough loss to the knicks they've had a a difficult schedule lately although i'm loathe to blame that as we don't really know that that's what it is when when teams lose it in the midst of a different difficult schedule uh 2.7 net rating is ninth in the nba they sport the 25th ranked offense and still the second ranked defense they project for 40 wins uh so that, that projection has improved significantly since the start of the season uh where are you going to start with some questions on these guys oh we could start with one from one kirk goldsberry which was who will have a better record Memphis or Utah. And as a point of reference here, Memphis is currently four games ahead of Utah in the win column, or sorry, in the loss column. The loss column is what you look at for for good teams. And that, you know, Utah won on Sunday and Memphis lost. So you think that that was five before today's events. Again, we're still so early in the season and Memphis is very health dependent on, I mean, as Jaron Jackson has been awesome. So maybe they're a little bit less Gasol health dependent than they were over the last couple of years, but as well as Shelvin Mack has played. They're getting their without Conley without uh Gasol on the floor still and when Jackson plays by himself it's at, true at center it's, yeah and Conley so. fouling out of the Clippers game was a definitive pivot sure. point you know they couldn't they had the lead I think they were up seven with a couple minutes to go and they just couldn't get a bucket and not all of that is Mike Conley being out but it certainly didn't help and I think Utah is a better team this is a much closer question than it would have been at basically any point in the year now that I'm a little bit less sold on Utah figuring this out but at this point I'm still going to go with the team that I think is better when the margin is, you know, four losses. I think that's enough for them to make it up, especially because as deep as Memphis is, I think Utah has more functional depth. They can withstand injuries a little bit better. Yeah, maybe that's so. Although, you know, Mitchell and Gobert doesn't have the greatest health record, obviously. You know, they really struggle when he's out and Mitchell has been nicked up. Uh, But yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. I still like Utah a little bit better. I believe in their coaching a little bit more. I believe in their health a little bit more. Uh, so yeah i would go with utah uh, but you know it, it's interesting that this is even a question here um a related question memphis ends the season as the blank seed as sean rosales wow i mean the, the west is so bunched up right now and i i think i'm a little bit more rosy on memphis than 538's projection was you know part of partially the start of the season but also now because that's you know it's a big factor in their calculus i'm gonna say they win like 43 games and so if i'm gonna guess where 43 puts any team in the west i think the most likely outcome there is ninth but i mean it could be anywhere right in that range yeah i think it's more likely than not that they don't make the playoffs but i still give them you know a decent 
chance of it at this point but i mean i i really just if we're saying the jazz will have a better record than them although again you know not clear at all here i just i want to see a little bit more from these grizz still uh but you know i mean i just believe in the teams above them more you know i mean the blazers the lakers the pels rockets nuggets thunder you know i mean really the only team you know maybe you could say the jazz haven't started well the clippers they could regress grizzlies are kind of in that group fighting for the eighth seed right now um but no i just i don't quite like the grizzlies as much as those teams yet and if their defense regresses at all they're in big trouble because they are, are not a good offensive team all right we got about three minutes left here what should the grizzlies do with chandler parsons contract chandler parsons has 25.1 million for next season the most likely outcome here is they just eat it you know you just take it and have it for another season don't stretch it or anything like that because that would add more money for future seasons there are elements that could change that one of them being marcus Sol's player option if he opts out and resigns, then maybe the math gets a little bit different. If he opts out and leaves, then their calculus completely changes. But by and large, they shouldn't give up an asset to move it because they're not going to be a cap space team anyway. And they don't know what their luxury tax obligations are going to be with the uncertainty with Gasol and Wayne Selden and all these kind of just other guys that might be in their rotation next year. So I would say hold on to it unless some other team, for whatever reason, overvalues Chandler Parsons, which seems almost impossible at this point. And now, fortunately, they have enough depth where they can really treat him as a value add so they don't need him in the rotation but when Chandler Parsons is healthy just play him does Memphis's hot start actually hurt their future asks uh, a frequent Twitter commenter uh, turkey no way uh I mean this year is part of their future you know I mean that that shouldn't be forgotten it probably is also good for them to get out from under that obligation that they owe to the Celtics that's top eight top six and then unprotected the next three years so to convey that pick you could argue might be a good thing um you could say well yeah well, and another another part of that is, would they have been able to tank hard enough to get into the bottom eight with how well they're playing? Yeah. Like, you know, if, if they're a middle of the road, it, it's more painful to give up, a you know, like the 10th pick in many ways than it is to give up the 14th where you were right on the cusp. Yeah, I think it's really if they make the playoffs this year versus not making the playoffs, even if it's like a two game difference, I could see that really affecting their strategy a lot. I remember Marcus Hall actually can opt out as well. The way he's playing, you might well see him do that, you know, man. We'll see what direction the organization wants to go at that time. So you could see them giving him a big albatross contract and that hurting them going forward for sure. But really what you're doing is you're just postponing the rebuild. I think, you know, the big issue would be if management decides, oh, we're so close. Let's just add some more long-term contracts here or you know, make a trade where we take on longer salary obligations or, you know, give Gasol a four-year max deal or something like that. Uh, but that I think is more the fear than, oh, you know, the draft pick issue. Because I think it's good to get that obligation out of the way to be good enough to to convey that uh because you know by the time 2021 rolls around you have to imagine they're going to be quite bad and if the obligation got pushed off all the way to there then they could be giving up a, a big pick here um quick one here how would adding Joakim noah affect this team reports uh, from mark stein indicating that they've uh, been in some talks though nothing has happened yet you know no i mean we haven't seen him play at all in almost two years now he remains a, a solid rebounder, but you know looked noticeably slowed as a, a pick and roll defender. They do at least, and as a switch guy, you know he is a passer out top. You know he can kind of operate that way with Gasol. But having a guy who passes and can't shoot is a much different animal than a guy who passes from the elbow and can shoot because you can just kind of lay off the guy and take away a lot of those cuts. Uh, so I, I don't think he's going to help much. 
You want to move on? Yeah. Having a warm buddy helps. Say? Yeah. Having a warm buddy helps. Yeah. You know, just having somebody else in the rotation that they trust will, or maybe not even yeah. in the rotation, just as a fallback is useful. And, and Jaron, they're playing him, starting him at the four. And something you and I have acknowledged at various points in the past is that it's just hard to run a rotation where you're starting power forward as your backup center too. You can do it. Utah has largely over the last couple of years, but maybe JB Bakerstaff doesn't want to. And Jaron Jackson's doing very well in his current role. So just having somebody else in that mix could be useful but again it's the balance of playing him the proper amount versus overplaying him is probably the bigger issue than underplaying noah let's move on to new orleans here yeah so the pels are 10 and 10 3 and 4 since the last 15 and 60 they are currently 11th in net rating plus 2.2 fourth in offense 24th in defense and 538 projects them to win 45 games which would tie them for sixth in the west along with the los angeles lakers which would be pretty interesting in terms of how that would shake out on a bunch of different things and first question is from Harris. If the Pelicans cannot acquire a starting small forward, what are your thoughts on closing with Miritich and Randall at the forward spots? This is something that Alvin Gentry, we expected him to do at the beginning of the year. He didn't do it at all for like the first, I think it was like three weeks of the year. And then they started going to it a little bit more often when they've had Davis, which hasn't been consistently. He missed the game against Washington with a hip strain. And they played 65 possessions per cleaning the glass with that trio, mostly in crunch time. They have a plus 17.2 net rating. Again, small sample size. Most mostly because their defense has been insane, 93.5 defensive rating. And the reason why I would support that, not against every opponent, like there are issues against like elite offensive wings in the playoffs and certain things like that, is that it gets the best players on the floor and that the benefit of Miritich as opposed to a lot of the fours playing the three is that he's a reliable shooter. So you're getting that benefit and he competes defensively. I think you can make a lot of it work. So it's definitely one of the options I would try. Remember, they've also been missing Alfred Payton for a lot of this time. He's another option that they'll try for this fifth starter or fifth closer actually more accurately along with their other four yeah and Miritich there aren't that many threes that are just gonna blow by you right like uh, the guys because you could put if it's a two or a three who's really quick you could put holiday on him if it's more of a power three or or a guy who likes to shoot over the top like a kd like a lebron now Miritich it certainly could get blown by but you've got pretty good help there with ad when he's healthy but by the way you mentioned their bad defense defense uh totally respectable 1077 defensive rating when davis is on the floor and uh that is really the best of their regulars but so it really just collapses when he's not out there and you know i mean when you're playing a miritich randall front court and you don't have any size in the wing that's to be expected so maybe miritich could get a shot there you might even go with randall on some of these guys uh, as well randall's not going to get through a screen but he can be a switch guy and you tell miritich hey you know what press up use your length to to take away the jump shot don't let him shoot over the top and, and we'll help you if he blows by you know maybe he could be a better option than someone like holiday probably not but you know again these are not a, a great group here next question should the Pels keep Miritich or Landel wrong term long term says trade everything for a wing um well their options for keeping Miritich are much more varied because they have bird rights on him whereas they don't on Randall if he opts out of that player option they either got to use cap space to resign him or they can offer him about 11 million next year um but I think Miritich is the better fit Randall is younger obviously however you know it all really depends uh, on AD I mean if he doesn't sign that designated player veteran extension then you know do you want to bring back Miritich at, at big money eh, maybe you do and and you try to make a trade and stay competitive we've seen that's really been more of the ethos of these small market teams that have traded superstars uh but 
also when you trade ad you know you really you have to get like prime young assets there it's all the the better the player is you know you really got to go for the juiciest stuff that can potentially get you another superstar uh so yeah th- that'll be interesting but I, you know i think miritich is just so much better of a fit with davis i like randall but you know starting davis and randall in the front court is it can work but it's still not the ideal fit i mean they've just been so good with miritich spotting up uh, around ad uh, working the interior and ad defensively with miritich totally works i mean miritich guards the four ad helps at the rim everything else like that i also don't think this is necessarily a choice just because of the different options they have available they might be able to retain both of those guys but as you said ad's decision is paramount here because the price that you're willing to pay those players changes in in those circumstances and i don't know exactly how they do but i know that they do and so that's interesting i'm only going to ask this just because for whatever reason in like six different teams we got asked about auto porter somebody said what does an auto porter trade look like for the pelicans does it address some of their problems matching up against elite wings auto porter has not done well in his career from what i recall matching up no. against elite wings it's this there's this idea of auto porter that is comp- that is very separate from what he is auto porter is basically the distillation of what a guy who is forward sized and shoots threes well but doesn't do a lot else how much that guy is worth i do not think that guy's worth a max contract as his game is and defensively it's like oh well he has the right size he can defend those guys he doesn't and he doesn't do it well yeah. and so too, too slow what would a trade look too like slow I mean, and not strong enough yeah I, I mean and that combination is is really tough because you you know obviously guys like lebron are going to be tough but then also obviously some of the faster he, guys too he, he's and better so what would a, a trade look guy. like presumably he's better as a help guy like he's not he's not good enough one-on-one yes he is Right. And so if you could get into a circumstance where those skills were more valuable, but that's not what New Orleans needs. New Orleans needs the other guy. They don't they need somebody who could pair with Auto Porter more than they need Auto Porter. And he's making just a boatload of money. So it would involve filler salary, which the Pelicans don't have a lot of probably would end up involving Solomon Hill or Etwan Moore. They would really miss Etwan Moore. Yeah, because Porter makes twenty seven three next year and twenty eight five with the player option, which eh, I think he's gonna pick up that player option unless he has a much better season. Thanks for doing forward. that. By the way, so, I'm uh, I'm feeling a little under the weather, so thanks for taking the reins on that one. Yeah. And yeah, so I I just don't think it, that he's he's a wonderful fit. And then just a quick one from KJ Draven: How would Buddy Heald look alongside Holiday and Davis had he not been traded to Sacramento? Having an absolute knockdown guy who hits open shots and Heald showed more depth to his game. We can talk about that a little bit in the Sacramento section. Would be really nice for them to have. I'm not sure how a Heald Etwan Moore combination would work, but having another guy who could shoot on this team even if he's more of a straight two would just be so helpful all right let's move to okc 12 and 7 5 and 2 since the last 15 and 60 they did lose at home to the nuggets uh, on saturday night fifth in the nba with a 5.8 net rating 15th ranked offense and the number one defense in the association they project for 54 wins per 538 which would place them second in the conference and here's one that you really wanted to talk about knowing everything that we know now would you do last summer's big trade which of course was paul george for victor oladipo and demontis sabonis as the Oklahoma City Thunder. So, of course, George has resigned since then on a three plus one. Old Depot has emerged as an all star. He's making 20 million a year flat, and Sabonis has been a, a very capable backup center in Indiana. And the reason I frame this in terms of as OKC is that I think Indiana de- redoes this trade because Old Depot has been eye opener for them. Paul George probably wasn't going to resign with them. So then they get all this benefit. And this is also why I look at trades from each team's perspective separately, even if it's just a 
straight two-team trade, no other elements in place. And so for OKC, the financial difference between George and Oladipo, you know, it matters a little bit. I mean, they're, they're a repeater team. Their luxury tax bill is significant. But Paul George is a better fit, to me, a significantly better fit with Russell Westbrook than Oladipo because of the kind of the way he can function on and off the ball. And him being a bigger wing defender will be really useful when OKC gets into the playoffs. So I, I'll say my opinion first. I would de- I would do this deal as OKC as well. So I've said I would do it as Indiana. I think it's clear from their perspective just because their incentives and their you know they can use Sabonis more than OKC can because Stephen Adams is just a warhorse. But I think Paul George is a meaningfully better fit, and that's why I would do it as them as well, knowing that he resigned on a three plus one. Well, and you say knowing what we know now, we know what Victor Oladipo became in Indiana. Part of that was due to work that he did on his body, which actually occurred before the trade. A, a lot of it really really uh, got into a much better shape from a body composition standpoint uh but you know it's certainly difficult to imagine that he would have emerged as the type of ball handler and shooter that he did in indiana playing next to russell westbrook a year ago especially with billy donovan's reluctance to ever play him as the backup point guard he finally did it when they were desperate in game five of that houston series even knowing that uh but you know it was uh samaje kristen time uh, before that to, to bring up a, a bad era in oklahoma city backup point guards uh so yeah i i mean i i think i probably would would do it you know and we'll see where they end up this season too you know i mean if it's just another first round exit then maybe you say we should i mean also worth noting that sabonis would never have been maximized in okc they're just playing him entirely at the four i don't think that necessarily would have changed the year afterwards i mean he was shooting like more than half of his shots from three he was really being wasted in okc would not have blossomed most likely so yeah i think clearly they're getting more production out of george than i think they would have had oladipo and sabonis stuck around uh uh, and we'll see too i mean you know how good are they going to be this year i think there's value for oklahoma city in having at least a playoff team through the rest of russell westbrook's prime here uh, which could be winning more quickly that's something to talk about it another time so yeah i think i i definitely would have done it uh but you know if the george contract becomes an albatross and you know they don't make the playoffs next year or something maybe you'd feel differently but as of now uh they look like a solid playoff team these next couple of years so yeah it seems like a good idea well yeah we got a series of different questions sorry we got a series of different questions about OKC's defense we can lead with the one from Rob McIntyre will the Thunder be the best defensive team in the league when Andre Robertson comes back well they already are I think they're absolutely in the mix yeah <laughs> I mean they're, I mean as of now and I would say you know there are teams that will be maybe better than they have been so far because remember we're saying at that point so then teams like the Jazz will have time to figure it out as well but OKC has a ton of they have a ton of defensive talent we saw how well they defended last year in that period of time when they had everybody healthy so yeah I, I would say they're significant favorites to have that distinction there it would be just them there are other teams that would be in that mix i mean boston has had a lot of great defensive stretches the jazz have that ceiling as well but i mean nasty wing defenders help defense i mean jeremy grant is just an, another just huge force for them that can be like you think about how nasty their starting five is going to be and then they have solid defense depending on which guys they're playing from their bench and so yeah i, I think there's a, a very good reason to believe that they can be the best defensive team in the regular season at the 
bare minimum without when they get their full complement of players. If OKC's defense remains elite without Robertson, do they really need him as a Tuki Duki? Uh, well, elite in the regular season. In the playoffs, obviously, you know they still it would still would be nice to have that one guy who can match up. Now, I'm very skeptical of Robertson's health. That's something we didn't talk about necessarily. Is you know, a is he even going to be able to come back this year? You know, that's not what the official timetable is. He says he's going to be back, but nonetheless, you know, there's a couple of surgeries now. He's already had some complications here. Actually, three surgeries, I believe now. Uh, and patellar tendons are very difficult to come back with. It's good to see actually that Jeremy Lin is playing as well as he is uh, coming off that torn patellar tendon. Um, I mean, I think they need him just because he's another live body. Maybe they could use him more at the four as well. Uh, but I still think he's their best option to guard, say, a James Harden in the playoffs, for example. So if they wanted to go small as well, you know, maybe play some of Grant at center against, say, a Houston if, if Adams is uh, getting hurt on switches then maybe that's something they could consider as well so i don't know if they need him i think you know he can help but yeah the need for him when you consider you know everyone's like oh he's getting defensive player of the year buzz because they're so much better when he was on the floor last year part of that was because they had mellow on the team so no i don't think they need him with to the extent that it was believed coming into the season even even if i believe he was a little overrated think, uh, compared to what a lot of people think of it need is a strong word but another way that robertson brings value you talked about the idea of having another guy with if they have to go to Jeremy Granite Center. But OKC's perimeter guy, they have a lot of guys that they've tried. I've heartily enjoyed Hamidou Diallo's minutes. But again, there's a, a whole different crucible coming for OKC later on in this year. And a lot of the guys they have, I just don't think are good enough to play in that. And while we have our issues with Robertson's shooting, and now that teams are getting more aggressive at handling those sorts of limitations, that can be a, a challenging thing for them. But just having another option, having an option that I like better than a lot of the guys they have would be really useful for them as as time goes on so that's another value that robertson provides last one here quickly do you think Schroeder has helped okc despite his inefficiency obviously had a big game against the warriors in oakland and yeah i think he has just because with westbrook out now they didn't play much of a schedule while westbrook was out but i think that yeah just having some kind of competence someone who can create shots even if they're inefficient someone to take the bad shots that your offense is naturally going to generate uh and at least you know get those without turning it over at least get a decent look at the basket in the half court yeah so he certainly has, has had value i mean he's helped the team the opposition of that trade was never that, that he wasn't going to help the team it was that his contract could look ugly for a guy who didn't project to be a starter they actually did start him now with all the twos that they have out uh, the other night uh and that he they had to give up a first round pick to get him as well so that that's what was really the issue uh you know and, and we'll see how he ends up looking uh down the end of the season i mean this is a team that you know is with some of the stars that they have you know i want to see how they're going to look in the playoffs shooter helping keep them afloat with all these westbrook injuries has been useful but uh you know to say that oh that trade is work it, worth it because he's helped in the first month of the season you know i think it's far too early to say that I don't really have any anything significant to add to that. So yeah, I mean he's he's definitely helped them because somebody has to take those shots, and he's been better defensively this year than I expected. That doesn't mean he's been awesome, but he has definitely been better, and that's provided value as well. All right. Well, I fear to say that I'm a little out of gas. We got four teams left. We're gonna have to do them uh, tomorrow here after uh, an hour and forty five minutes of recording time. I apologize we couldn't get through all of it, but we'll get to the rest uh, tomorrow. So talk to y'all then. Anything you got to talk about before we go, Danny? I should have some pieces coming out for The Athletic pretty soon. Uh, have one on DeMarcus Cousins type stuff, and then I have another one. I'm starting a big series for The Athletic, laying out the team side of the 2019 offseason. So I'm breaking it out in terms of teams that will have cap space, something we talk about a lot on the program. <laughs> 
in two different varietals and then teams that are going to be over the cap but under the tax and then luxury tax teams and so it's going to be you know not full-on previews those are coming in the later part of the season but more kind of a lay of the land thing of like how you want to think about where this is going and i like doing that early in the season so that it can be a resource because generally they're not going to change that much between now and early february and then at that point we can reassess yeah you can sign up for see all danny's work at theathletic.com slash capspace talk to you all tomorrow so then every day our world gets a little more connected but a little further apart but then there are moments that remind us to be more human Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.